Well, I'm going to be reading uh, the Bible. Uh, the first passage is from Psalm 133, and it's on page 8 of your zine. It's a song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Our second reading comes from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My text today is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Uh, See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. It's a great line. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. I want to pray a prayer based on verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 12. Father, we pray that you'll strengthen our feeble arms and our weak knees. We acknowledge that that was first written to people being genuinely persecuted for their faith. 
And yet we know what it is, of course, to live in the real world. We recognise the bumps along the way as disciples of Christ. The race that you've marked out for us is long, and for many of us it's difficult. Father, we pray that you'd make level paths for our feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. We pray that you'll heal our legs as we get up, that you'll heal our legs as we follow Jesus, that you'll heal our legs as we do this in community. We pray this in Jesus' name and in the power of his spirit. Amen. On the power and beauty of community, the psalmist writes how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. How good and pleasant it is. It's like precious oil, the psalmist writes, running down on the beard. It's a metaphor for overflowing joy. It's like the dew of Hermon uh, that was, is falling on Mount Zion. Community, therefore, is good. In the New Testament, to a group of people who are tired, persecuted and tempted to give up, strengthen the feeble arms and the weak knees, the writer of Hebrews goes even further. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then it's not business as usual um, at the foot of Mount Sinai. Hebrews 12, verse 22, you've not come to Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. I thought we just turned up the church. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, You've come to God, the judge of all. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It speaks a word of hope rather than despair, a word of grace rather than bitterness, the blood that we remember in a few moments' time as we take bread and wine together. Community is precious. Christian community, priceless. But what happens if the gap between this word in Hebrews, this grand word, the gap between that and your experience is wide? What what happens if it's Grand Canyon wide? You know, you aim for the moon, you hit the back fence. And you ask, is it me? Is it the church? Is it the leadership? Is it the structures? Is it the media? Is it my memories? Is it um, my family? Do I, if community is hard, do I leave one church? Do I go to another? What do you do about it? (laughs) Well, this is the final in a series on first aid to discipleship. We noted last week that first aid is three things. First, it it is administered immediately at the accident, and therefore, secondly, it is an ultimate aid. So this message can only be limited in its effect. I can just point to some ways forward. But thirdly, and this is key for us, first aid can be offered by anyone, not just the so-called professionals. It's our job to love one another. Now, we're not talking about physical wounds, but spiritual ones, and they run deep, and they're hard to uh, diagnose and, and treat. The series assumes that you want to be a disciple of Jesus, Uh, to to learn from him, to love, to live like Jesus, but it also assumes that you can be derailed on the journey, that you can stumble on the path, uh, that feeble arms and weak knees is pretty normal, and in fact you could fall over and bleed faith. So if you were to stumble in your faith, how could we help? And when I say we, I mean each other. 
What first aid could we offer if you find church disappointing? Now, four things, same outline as last week. We go to the wound first, then some triage, some sorting out, then the first aid. If you're writing notes, that's the point where I've got six or so things, and then one word for some long-term help. So firstly, the wound is simple. After a while, you find that coming to church just hurts. Perhaps it started with disappointment, but it became unbearable in the end, a genuine wound. And uh, some of you know this experience as we speak. Some of you have had it deeply in the past. In Colossians 3, Paul calls the church Christ's beloved, precious to him. But sometimes it's hard to see it that way. Gathering in Christ's name seems to be the simple but effective way for God to do his thing in our lives and in the, in the world by his spirit. Uh, and I guess that's what makes disappointment so, so unbearable. Um, church is where our worship of God orientates our hearts towards him. It's a place where those who belong to the king could recharge their batteries for kingdom work all week. At least that's the way it's meant to be. And yet every one of us here, me included, has a story of disappointment in our interaction with God's people. And many of you will have a story of disappointment with our own church. For everyone, every one person who's joined us in the last 10 years is someone who's left us. We received the NCLS results at the end of last year, and I think we'll report back on this at Rivendell. But there's some good news there and some difficult news. Uh, some 87% of you have a strong sense of belonging to this local church. Uh, and that means 13% of you don't. That's just worth saying. 79% found it easy to make friends with this church, but that means that one in five of you find it hard to make a friend. As that little moment in the AGM revealed. 28% uh, of you said that you were not satisfied with the way things were operating for you. That's one in three, a little less than one in three, one in four. Of course, maybe it's more than a simple story. Maybe it's a constant fight or a present reality. Maybe something has happened so traumatic in the past that you have lost trust you see, there is this ideal, and then there's the church falling far short. And the ache that exists between the two is what hurts so much. We want compelling community, but even as I write compelling community in the strategic plan, I think, mm, is that us? What happens when the community feels more repelling rather than compelling? That's the wound. And I'm sorry, if that raises things for you, then I wonder if there's some path here. So let's do some triage. Uh, it's important to realise now that there are several reasons we find church disappointing and they'll require different responses. You've got to go to this doctor, that doctor, you know, you've got to this room or that room. And uh, the responses to the several reasons I can't offer responses to each in a single message. And maybe that's why we have a five-year strategic plan. Uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if at the end of five years we said that we had compelling community? It's why Rivendell will be important, uh, as it's framed up for us by, by Melissa, and then we think hard about the use of our gifts in the life of community. 
But I have four reasons why church is disappointing. Uh, there's just a sample, and as the day has worn on, I've realised how inadequate these four are, but it's not exhaustive. So firstly, here's a wound. Church has become dry, uninteresting, boring, irrelevant. It could be tedious. It could re- also result in chronic frustration. I come sort of angry that it's so that there lacks so traction. Maybe even the season of COVID, it becomes even harder because at least when I could raise my voice to the Lord, there was something powerful about that and God uses music for such means. But maybe it's the use of liturgy, the choice of music, the repetitive nature of it. You know, we're Anglicans, so we don't do surprises. Uh, And maybe it's the message, the sermon, the sermons without vivid colour. Maybe they come without challenge. Maybe they come without practical application for daily living. Or maybe you say, look, I just don't even know what my place is here. I've got gifts, but they don't seem to be recognised. That came through in some of the NCLS report. We'll tell you more about that at Rivendell. Or maybe you just can't connect or you can't see the point. This isn't true for everyone, and it's not true for everyone every week. But we've all felt it, and it's best to name it. It can have a dulling effect. Second thing, different again, is that church makes me uncomfortable and there could be a bunch of reasons why. But it's worth saying that churches, when they function properly, and I don't mean just come in and do your religious bit and leave, when they're genuine community, churches are certifiably uncomfortable. They're meant to be uncomfortable. And that's because humans in community is necessary and hard One of the things that churches do is force people in the room that wouldn't otherwise be in the room together. You're not choosing your friends. And it works against, in theory, it works against the echo chamber. Uh, People's tastes are different. Their politics are infuriating. My goodness, there are people on the right wing here. My goodness, there are people who are lefties. All together in the one room, worshipping Christ. Personalities, temperaments, cultural backgrounds, all in the one pot. Try having a more than simplistic conversation after church, sometimes quite complex. One of the things I've loved about social media is that a lot of my friends who aren't Christians make the assumption that every time you go to church you just hear the same message and you live in an echo chamber. One of the things I like about social media is that they've seen online how, you know, I'll put up a post and all my Christian friends will argue with each other. There's something quite powerful about that. You've got to remember that the earliest church had to bring Jew and Gentile together, not just personalities, but great cultural divides. Church works against the grain of echo chambers, and yet we curate our worlds to maximise comfort and minimise inconvenience. Some of us hide behind screens to avoid awkward. It also means that we might have an aversion to bring people into church, into this space. We're not hip, never have been, never will be. Thirdly, uh, it exhausts me. (laughs) Maybe when you were a young Christian, you had zeal, you were stirred, inspired, uh, you could see the change more readily. Maybe that was your initial experience, but you could say you've lost that loving feeling. Um, Or it seems that nothing really changes. You've thrown your lot in, you know, you give. Uh, but now you feel tired or flat or unappreciated or sidelined. Maybe like last week, you're tired of not hearing God's voice. You're tired of wrestling with faith. 
and not feeling like the answers are here in community. Maybe it's just mental health, plain downright anxiety about meeting new people. Maybe people exhaust you and the sofa at home appears much easier. No need to feign interest, uh, no eyeballing required, no need to shoulder burdens. But the final reason for disappointment is that one more substantial, and that is that church has hurt me, or people at church has hurt, have hurt me. The wounds for this one run deep. Um, and they could be, you know, something simple as unintended, unkind words uh, through to being ignored or feeling like you're being ignored, but they move through to being seriously let down by someone you trusted. Or worse, uh, bullying in the church uh, or abuse within the church. It's important to name it. If you've experienced a serious breach of trust, it is entirely understandable that you might think of walking away from Christian community. And if you're here today, even on live stream, uh, then it, can I just say, it's courageous that you're here. You might have overcome a lot to be here. St. John's Darlinghurst runs a service every year called Tears of Hope for those who are looking to regain their trust in Christian community. Obviously, first aid can only do so much. There are some wounds that will need time, trust, and indeed professional help. They'll need uh, confrontation and in the end, justice. However, many of us have experienced being burned at a lower level, but it's still hurtful. You feel unsupported in your service, those sorts of things. So, some first aid, a couple of things if you're writing notes. I've got six things, but they're pretty simple, so they're easy to write notes, which is probably the only way to remember. First, you're not alone. I've been let down, so I know the experience. Don't all rush to him, but if you can spend some time with Rowan Patterson, <clears throat> the minister down at the Garrison Church sometime this year, he's on the record and in the newspapers for having been let down by a particular church in the United Kingdom. You're not alone. It's worth also saying you're not alone because in the New Testament, there are many examples in the early church of difficulties. The Acts is littered with them. This book of victory is littered with difficult stories. Almost all the letters of the New Testament deal with real problems in Christian community. Whenever I get down about my own experience of church, I remind myself that at least we're not the Corinthian church. Millions of believers experience disappointment with church and yet their faith has survived. That's just worth saying. Philip Yancey wrote Soul Survivor as his sort of journey to survive the church that Christ loves. Jesus said, the one who stands firm till the end will be saved, and some have chosen to stay standing, even while it appears the church is cutting them off at the knees. They're brave. Firstly, you're not alone. Second, name it. Name the hurt. Hurts hurt, and that's worth saying. <clears throat> no point in denying it. 
Church is something that's meant to be good, and that's why it can sting so bad. And yet, you know, it's not like we haven't always said that we're a community of sinners. It's not like that's not our creed. You know, that we stumble along. Isn't that's what that's our that's our creed. Recipients of grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, if we are recipients of grace, we enter community not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. Hear that? He says, because of grace, we enter community not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. That being said, name it with your brothers and sisters, and they'll do some triage if they belong to Christ, hopefully, some good, healthy triage. In one in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 27, when Israel was coming up out of Egypt and they didn't like what Moses was doing, we're told they grumbled in their tents, which is a form of cynicism, I think. It's like, let's go away from here, gather together with a group of discontented people and complain. But you could do something better than that, something that wasn't just cynical. You could name it to each other where friends will triage. Maybe they'll challenge you to manage your expectations. Maybe they'll point you to help. They could read relevant parts of the Bible with you and pray with you. Or maybe they'll agree with you and just provide the support that you need. You could name it with me, if you like, or the other staff. You could say to me, text me, I'd like an emergency meeting and I'll do what I can. Emma would love to do the same. Andy would love to do the same. Maybe you don't want to meet with me because maybe I'm the problem or at least part of the problem. And if I am that to you, then I am sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. Help me then to learn and to repent. Of course, sometimes the person who hurts can't be the person who heals, so that we'll need a third person in the room. If it's illegal, call the police. If you need specific help with uh, some form of control, 1-800-RESPECT. Our own Anglican Church has a system to handle grievances. Name it. Third, just recognise that sometimes the work of church health is slow work. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but Paul uses that word to the Corinthian church when they were deeply compromised. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why he says, stop sleeping with prostitutes. You see. We are being changed daily into the likeness of Jesus, but that work is slow. This side of the new creation, we will rub each other up the wrong way. It may be that we need a healthy realism to know how slow the change is, and that's especially true if you're an adult. There must be some algorithm which puts change quicker when you're younger and slower when you're older. Or maybe there's a miracle God has for you. Jesus told a parable about a man who sowed good seed but an enemy came in to the farm and sowed weed among the wheat at night so that the weed and the wheat grew up together, a compromised kingdom. There were eager servants, passionate servants, who believed in purity and challenge. They wanted to fix things up now, to get the weeds out now. In the story Jesus told, the farmer says, no, because while you're pulling up the weeds in your idealism, you may uproot the wheat with them. You might do serious damage to those who believe. Let both grow until the harvest. At that time, when Christ returns, I will tell the harvesters, gather the wheat 
the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, that's judgment, and then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn in vindication. And the next parable Jesus tells is the parable of the mustard seed, which is about slow growth. In Revelation 2 and 3, which we've touched at in our community group, uh, summer community group, it's a classic example of weeds and wheat growing together as the risen Jesus claims. The risen Jesus stands and addresses the seven churches in Asia Minor, and he says to one, you've lost your first love. He says to another, you're rich, you've got money, but actually deep down you're poor as a community. Still another, you tolerate sin, deep sin, and you buy and believe false doctrines. Eugene Peterson, in his book on Revelation, he says this of the churches. He says, it's impossible among people familiar with ancient Israel and the early church to glamorize communities of faith. Churches are characteristically poor, often sordid, and frequently faithless. It is in this environment that God chooses to show the Christ in the splendid form of the Son of Man, In Revelation, he stands among the golden lampstands. He's neither embarrassed nor compromised by the church. He warns them. Peterson goes on, but this procedure should be no surprise to us by now. It's embedded in the gospel. The site of his birth was a manger. The place of his coronation was the cross. God deliberately set Jesus among the common and the flawed. The historical situation, just as it was, Jesus, this side of heaven, is never known in any other context. Churches are a mess, but we are God's beautiful mess. So you're not alone, name it, it's slow work. Uh, Third, fourth, look to Jesus. This one's pretty simple, and it's the first aid that most of us offer, but it can only be part of the story. The church of Jesus may be messy, but Jesus is amazing. The Gruen transfer tried to work out what to do to uh, advertise churches since we're now the bad guys. So what could we say to make the churches look better than we all know that they are? And they worked out that the church itself is compromised, but by golly, the best thing they have going for them is Jesus. He's just that good. People throw out the baby with the bathwater. We aren't bathwater, by the way. We're cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Yet we're compromised. In one sense, we're bathwater. Do not lose Jesus for the church. Many people have left Jesus for the church. And then they found later, almost to their surprise, they lost Jesus too. Fifth, lower your expectations. This is my cheeky one. Lower them. Of course, you say, gosh, (laughs) Lower your, lower your expectations and you'll hit your expectations every time. This is cheeky because in a moment I want to say, lower yours and raise Christ's. Lower yours, raise Christ's. Lower yours, life is hard uh, and community is hard. Joel Warshaw said this, he said, my life hasn't gone the way I thought it would. I'm in therapy now and I'm trying to find the exact moment that things went wrong. I've narrowed it down to conception. We live in a fallen world. Disappointment, though, is often the result of mismatched expectations. I always thought that the church would would just always be there and be what it needed to be. The opposite of disappointment, of course, is 
is what? What's the opposite of disappointment? I say contentment. Church isn't meant to be a fun park, but we can work together to make it vital, alive. It is meant to be awkward, learning to live with difference is a mark of grace. There will be seasons of disengagement, at which point you need to remind yourself to muck in, to jump in, both feet. I really do think that people who have a foot inside and outside find it harder to ever believe that church will be anything else but disappointing. Mind you, you put both feet in, you can still find it disappointing, don't get me wrong, but guaranteed half in, half out is a guaranteed disappointment. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, which Melissa's going to, I believe, raise at Rivendell if she so chooses, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. We need you. Every part is important. Sometimes we need to change churches. But I want to say, if you do this, don't do it lightly. Uh, remember the famous insight, as you go to a new place, you take you with you. So, of course, check your heart, check your motivations. But sometimes people need to change churches. Be in contact with people as you do. Seek their wisdom, especially people who, are, who you believe are wise rather than perhaps feed a lack of contentment. Sometimes people need to move churches for safety. If you can and if you feel safe, speak to the pastor of your church. This means, all, this means that church at times will be messy and exhausting, but it's good because God makes messy things beautiful in his time. So fifth is lower your expectations, but sixth is raise Christ's. This is Christ's church, not my wish dream. We enter as thankful recipients, not as demanders, because he is Lord of the church. So if I can put it this way, show up, uh, if you feel safe to do so. Coming to church recalibrates our hearts by his presence. Muck in, there's so many gifts here. Part of the challenge is to utilise them. Don't sit on them waiting to be asked, jump on in. And bear in mind what the, what the writer of Hebrews says to that feeble church with weak knees. Look at verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone precisely because it's hard. Make every effort to be holy because without holiness no one will see the Lord. It's time for a deeper discipleship. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God which is to leave Jesus Christ and see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral. So some of us are going to need to repent in this space. Or be godless like Esau who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Don't do that. Afterwards he regretted it, you see. So one word for some long-term help. There's something in the gospel of Jesus where when we find church disappointing, it actually mirrors the gospel and we are provided with an opportunity. Now I'm not talking about bullying and abuse and safety. I am talking about the ordinary run-of-the-mill church is difficult at times. My one word of long-term help is this, that maybe the purpose of the church is to show the grace of God alive in community. We are not a pristine fellowship trying to show the world pristine lives. So in many ways, we shouldn't expect the church to be ordered in the way we want it to be. And so we model to outsiders the way into God 
by demonstrating grace in Christian community. So maybe it's meant to be disappointing to some degree. Dietrich Bonhoeffer outlined this in his book, Life Together, when he said, the sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual, we're not perfect, or to a community, what were we thinking? The better for both. A community that cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis of disappointment, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community sooner or later it will collapse, we need grace. And maybe it's because I'm disappointing, maybe the church is as fragile as I am. And so he writes, even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, is not the sinning brother still a brother or a sister with whom I too stand under the word of Christ? Will not his or her sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live under the forgiving love of God in Christ Jesus? It's why we all take bread and wine. Thus, the very hour of disillusionment, disappointment with my brother or sister becomes incomparably great because it so thoroughly teaches me that neither of us can ever live by our own words, our own deeds, but by the one word and deed which really binds us together the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. He writes, when the morning mists of dreams vanish, then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. Let's pray. Father, all of us have feeble arms and weak knees, and so we come before you and ask for grace. We ask for a level pass for our feet. We ask for healing for our legs, that we might follow Jesus Christ. We pray for this community, 6 p.m., but also the other congregations of the, of the parish of Churchill. We pray that no bitter root will grow up to cause trouble. That bitter root can come in many ways, and one of them is to sweep truths under the carpet. We here now refuse to do so. We want to be open to each other. We want to be open to you. We want the grace of your grace to be alive in our life and alive in Christian community. Pray that none of us would sell our birthright for a bowl of soup, but claim it. This is your church, precious and holy to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.